Jesus Christ knew that the religious leaders were setting a trap for him, and he knew that the crowd would yell, Crucify him, crucify him. Yet, instead of fleeing, he arranged a quiet Passover meal with his friends. This fellowship meal has become the most famous supper of all time. Many of us partake of Holy Communion in our churches, but sometimes this can become unritual without meaning. Today's discussion could help you deepen your understanding of the bread and the cup, as our Bible teacher Dave Wurtzen exposes the Old Testament background of the Passover meal and then develops its meaning in regard to Jesus' Last Supper with his disciples. Jesus set himself like a flint and headed towards the city of Jerusalem. For a week he ministered in the temple complexes. At night he would go back to Bethany and probably stay with Mary and Martha. During that week he kind of had a celebration bank with, with Lazarus and people came from all over the city and they saw this one that had been resurrected from the dead. This was also the week in which he met with Simon the leper. Evidently a man that maybe by the miraculous power of Christ was delivered from his leprosy because people wouldn't have been able to come if Simon the leper was still a leper. And so the people gathered together and it was as Jesus was sitting with Simon and some of his friends and the disciples that Mary came in and took a, a bottle that would have cost a year's salary to buy, several thousand dollars, she snapped the narrow alabaster top and dumped a year's salary on the feet of Jesus. Judas especially went into consternation over that. Judas couldn't stand the waste. Practical religious people never understand what I just talked to you about, about grace. Practical religious people are into meeting needs by obligation, performing, doing what is expected, doing what brings a praise and acclaim by men. And the waste of a year's salary on someone's feet is total waste unless you understand grace, unless you understand doing beautiful, unexpected things. Mary probably didn't even realize that Jesus was going to die in just a few hours. Jesus understood the significance of that moment because he said, she has anointed my body for burial. So if you think that as we move towards the cross that things are out of control, if you think that somehow that heaven has lost its grip upon the throttle of history, remember that Jesus told Mary when she anointed his feet and dried his feet with her tears with her hair, remember that Jesus gave the significance for that event by saying, this is my anointing for burial. Judas couldn't take that because Jesus rebuked Judas. Jesus told Judas, lay off of her. In fact, this deed is going to be proclaimed in every area of the world where the gospel goes. Judas couldn't handle that. And so Judas went off to the high priest. And the high priest had been saying as they got together in their enclave, they said, let's wait till after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
will wait the seven days of the festival of Jerusalem because if we try to arrest Jesus with the population of Jerusalem swelled five times, we could have a riot on our hands and that will produce a holocaust here. The Romans will come. They're going to be up in the Jerusalem. Pilate will have his legions there. We need to not risk it till after the feast. And then Judas walked into their midst and says, I'll arrange a private, customed betrayal. I'll do it privately. I'll do it when no one else is around. And Judas said, name a price. The 30 shekels of silver were 30 pieces of silver were thrown out on the table. And we all know the story of how Judas picked up that money. Greed, jealousy, misunderstanding, pride, rebellion, all gripping his heart. And that's the setting of the Last Supper. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew. To Matthew's Gospel. And this is contained in all four of the Gospels, the story of the Last Supper. But let's turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, verse 17. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that would have been Nisan 14, probably Thursday, maybe in the morning, was on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the disciples came to Jesus. Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says my appointed time is near. Once again, reminding us of Jesus' sovereign control over the time of his death. My appointed time is near. This is why I've come. This is the time that my Father has ordained. My appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the meal, prepared the Passover. Now what's going on here? We need to understand the Old Testament background. We need to become Jewish a little bit in order to understand what was happening. Three times a year, the male population of the Jews would move to Jerusalem, often taking their families, and they would have a tremendous celebration. Passover was probably the major celebration of the year. The time when the Passover lamb was slain. And we turn back to Exodus. Turn back to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. And we learn about the birth of the Passover ritual. The, ten, the nine plagues of Egypt have occurred. Moses has gone before Pharaoh repeatedly and challenged the pagan deity of the day challenged all the gods. If we had time, we could go back and explain to you how the nine plagues of Egypt were a direct argument against the false gods of the ancient Egyptian kingdom. And it was like the Lord God of heaven had carried on a mortal battle with all the forces of evil. And Satan's enemies, I mean Satan's forces, tried to keep the children of Israel enslaved in Egypt. For over 400 years, the Jewish people had taken the whip. The dads knew what it was to have lashes on their back. They knew what it was to try to, to try to go to work when they barely had enough strength to do it. And if they did not go to work, they could lose their lives. It's hard to be slaves. It's hard to live under that kind of an, an, an oppression. Most of us would never know, we never really know what it would be like to live as a slave as the oppressed class. And Moses came as a great deliverer. And the Passover is the night 
that God said it was time. God said, I've heard the cries of my people. I've heard their cry for mercy. I've heard their cry for help. And I'm going to act. I'm going to do something. I'm going to meet the need. And so in Exodus chapter 12, we read this. This month, Exodus 12, verse 1. This month is to be for you the first month. The first month of the year. This is to be the beginning of your life. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. So they took a little lamb into their home on the tenth day of the month. They kept it for four days. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. Notice the stress upon family and neighborliness, togetherness. If your family's too small, you need to get a grab another family so that you'll be able to consume this total lamb in one sitting. You are to determine the amount of the lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. Sounds like the mothers are getting involved here. All the mothers know about determining how much meat it's going to take to feed this group. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats and take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. You can see this moving scene as hundreds of Israelites go out and slay their lamb in the afternoon. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat, roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs. And the bitter herbs reminded the children of Israel of the bitterness that they experienced. It talks about in Exodus chapter 1. It talks uses the same word of the bitter oppression that they lived under. And the bitter herbs was a, was a powerful object lesson of their oppression and slavery. And the bread made without yeast. And it was made without yeast because the people were to separate themselves from all the contaminating influences of Egypt. They were to clean their homes. They would scour their homes and get rid of all the uncleanness, all the leaven, all that permeating influence of the Egyptian culture. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire. Do not leave any of it till the morning. This is how you're to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night I will pass through Egypt, strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. The blood will be a sign for you on your houses, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Verse 14, this is the day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. If you were Jewish people, you would understand that what I just read is what held you together as a people. If you were all Jewish people here, and I've read the account, if you understood your traditions at all, there would be some older Jewish people here that would begin to weep. Because what I just read to you is what held the people of Judaism together for century after century after century. During the Inquisition, they hung on to the Passover. During the Crusades, they hung on to the Passover. In World War II, as Hitler's Nazis swept out against the Jewish people, 
many of the people that had wandered away from those traditions came back. And they started to remember the Passover with their family. In Israel today, it's primarily in many ways a secular state. But when it comes to Passover time, and you gather together with Israelis, the meaning of this tradition that goes back for thousands of years holds them together. I was with an Israeli. He's very much of a modern thinker, doesn't believe in the Bible, doesn't believe in, in even the traditions hardly that's there. But when it came to sitting down for a meal of Sabbath, and the same thing at Passover, he sat there, and he put his hat on, his little hat, and his little girl sitting by his side who was from a divorced family, very much of a modern family, this little girl began to sing the Hallel, Psalm 113, 114, Psalm 115. That little girl knew all the words. When we gather together, you gather together around this table, and one of the little children, before you begin the meal, says, Daddy, Daddy, why have we gathered? And the daddy says, Children, we have gathered. And every year they're reminded, we were slaves in Egypt. We were burdened by false gods. The Egyptian gods thought they had control over all of our existence. But then the Lord God sent a deliverer into the land of Egypt and brought His mighty nine plagues against the land of Egypt. And on Passover night, we slew the lamb. We put the blood on the doorposts. And when the death angel flew over our house, our firstborn lived. And we ate that meal standing up with all of our garments tucked in and we left the next morning never to return to Egypt again. When Jesus said, let's prepare the Passover that's the tradition, that powerful Old Testament remembrance of an event in the past. You say, so what about the past? So what about history? So what about things that happened in the past? As moderns, we're, we're very much out of touch with what happened back then. But as believers, we need to remember, because you see, the Passover for a Jew was a historical event that meant something today. When Jesus sat down with His disciples, it meant we are a delivered people. Our God is the true God. Egyptian, Babylonian gods can come and go. But the Lord God of Israel is a deliverer God who delivers from oppression. Only as Jesus gathered together at the Last Supper, a historical supper that's become the most famous supper of all time. Imagine a supper that genius artists depict in a multitude of ways. It's the most famous supper that ever took place. Why? Why is that eating together of a small band of nondescript Jewish disciples, why is it so important? Because that night, because that night when Jesus sat down at the table, 
And as they went through the Passover ritual, and as Jesus explained to the disciples, like an Israelite dad would explain to the children, we were oppressed. Jesus this time took the bread. He took the bread, which was on every Israelite table. And this time Jesus said, not just the Jewish prayer, blessed be the Lord God who giveth us the grain and the harvest and the bread. Instead of just thanking the Creator God for His gift of physical life through the giving of food, this time Matthew tells us that Jesus took the bread and He said, this is my body which is broken for you. When Jesus did that, He forever changed the Passover. When Jesus took the bread and said, this is My body, which is broken for you, He moved from a Passover lamb and blood on the doorposts, which caused the death angel of God to pass over a house. He changed it into a supper, into a celebration where the Lord God of Heaven says that He'll fly over every individual. He'll fly over every family. He'll fly over every group. He'll fly over every household that's gathered together here that's placed their trust in this bread. Not the physical bread, but what the bread represents. He said, this night, I'm instituting a new remembrance, a new feast, a new tradition, a powerful remembrance, a powerful object lesson. He's saying that anyone, anyone who takes this bread and takes it inside of him or her will receive eternal life. Now, even the way that I'm talking right now, it's subject to a lot of confusion. And down through church history, there's been a lot of confusion. Because Jesus didn't say that this bread is like my body. He said, this bread is my body. And so there's been all kinds of debate. In some kind of church tradition, they would feel that by partaking of bread, by partaking of the wafers, that somehow by some supernatural miracle that that bread becomes the body of Christ for them. And as they eat the bread, they believe they're actually taking the life of Christ into their life. I grew up with many, many kids. It was very strategic for them once a week to get another bite to get another infusion of the body of Christ. Personally, I don't believe that's what Jesus was saying. Jesus loved to use vivid imagery. He loved to say, I am the door. I don't think Jesus was a wood door like we walked into today. He said, I am the door because He meant I am the means of access to the Father. Another time he says, I am the light. I don't think it meant that he's a torch that's sitting there glowing. It means that he's what changes our mind from darkness 
and gloom and depression and death and darkness to the light of hope, to the light of meaning, to the light of illumination, to the light of understanding, to the light of truth. You understand that. The Last Supper, Jesus said, this is my body. What he was saying is that in just a few hours, the author of life, this is what keeps your physical body going. In my own life, some days you go through and there's M&Ms available and there are sweet, gooey candies, you know, with sugar kind of on the outside available. Sometimes there's even gummy worms available. Sometimes there's Diet Cokes available. How many of you have ever gone through a day of that delicious, stable food, right? Maybe my body is weird, but when I go through a day like that, my body starts to say, Wurzen, I wish there was some bread. In our culture, I would say, I just wish there was some bread and butter. We'll even use it as an expression. Let's get back to the bread and the butter. What do we mean by that? In the first century as well as in the 20th century, this is the staple. It's what keeps us alive. And Jesus took something that was every day and Jesus said, this is my body. The Last Supper is telling us that the gift of the baby in the manger who became a man who now is getting ready to go to the cross, the meaning of it all is it's by taking him into our life. Now, I did that when I was five years old. And I didn't eat physical bread. I received an invisible person. I depended upon an invisible person, yet I believed he was alive. That's what it means to receive Jesus. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. For those that have received Jesus that invisible Christ into their life, then the partaking of this physical bread becomes a powerful object lesson. It becomes like the Passover. It becomes as often as we do it, it becomes a remembrance of all that the broken life of Christ means to us. Because just as the Lamb shed His blood and the blood on the doorpost and the sign of the cross delivered the children of Israel from death. Jesus hanging on the cross of Calvary delivers us from death. 